Tandem Nomads, episode 69. A great book is one that you either don't want to put down or as soon as you put it down, you can't wait to pick it up and read it again. Welcome to Tandem Nomads, the podcast show for expat partners. Every new episode is launched twice a month on Tuesdays. You will find here great inspiration and tips to build your portable career and thrive with your family in your global nomadic life. Hello, Nomad Nation. This is Emel Deregi, and today's episode is all about writing books. I'm pretty sure that a lot of you here must have a lot of great stories to tell. And I brought you a great expert who can tell you today how to publish your own book and even finance it through crowdfunding. So, Lisa, are you ready for the ride? I am ready. So Lisa Furland is American living in Sweden, where she moved with her husband and started her family. She's a public health consultant, but uh, during her journey in Sweden, she developed her expertise in writing and publishing books. Uh, she's the co-author and publisher of her first book called Knocked Up Abroad, an <laughs> anthology of global moms and dads' experience with birth and parenting across the world. The success of her first book led her to launch her second one, Knocked Up Abroad, again. This time, she had the creative idea to finance the publishing of the book through a crowdfunding campaign using the platform of Kickstarter. Lisa also regularly shares her story and journey as a global mom on her blog at knockedupabroad.eu. So, Lisa, this is a little overview of who you are. Is there anything I missed? That is it, really. You did a great job. Wonderful. And what's happening in your world right now? Well, uh, my two kids are keeping me busy. I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old at home, and so we're very busy doing the preschool thing. And uh, as soon as they're off at school, then I get to work doing my thing, which is right now I'm developing a crowdfunding course so I can help other people learn the ropes that is the chaos of crowdfunding. Ooh, yeah, that's going to be very useful <laughs> for a lot of you here, Nomad Nation. So before we get to learn a little bit from your expertise in this field, I would love for you to let me know and let us all know about how did you get from being an expert in and a consultant in the public health to publishing books? Yes, that's not a, a logical leap, really. And um, my background is in public health. That's where my training is. I have a master's in public health focused on epidemiology, which is the study of diseases and how they impact populations. And uh, before I was a consultant, I worked for a U.S. organization, membership organization in Atlanta, Georgia, right, with the CDC. And we did a lot of work with Emory University and the Center for Disease Control and doing surveillance and public health work. And then when we moved abroad, my husband's job took us to Sweden. I was lucky enough to stay on with my same employer, but in a consulting role. And in doing so, I was able to work from home and work remotely, which was really great, uh, especially when you're new in a country and you don't have any employment opportunities to kind of have a few projects here and there that I could dip back into is really great. And of course, living abroad, opens up new doors that you never expect. And I started to move more into a consulting role and was able to consult with other organizations and other groups. And one of that was doing uh, 
a public health textbook. And so I got to dip my toes into traditional publishing and all that's involved in organizing PhDs and MDs from all around the world to contribute to this public health textbook. And it was a lot of work. And I was like, wow, this is crazy. But that gave me a lot of the experience that I ended up using once I had my own idea to write my own book and um, publish an anthology. Was I already had experience kind of herding cats and getting everyone to work together. And it was really great experience because I could apply a lot of those same skills in my anthology work. But how did the idea of the book came to you? That came during a trip. We went back to the U.S. on vacation and um, I, I saw the cultural differences. And so I've only really ever been a mom. I mean, my mom journey started in the U.S., but in terms of raising children, it was really, it's all been in Sweden. And the culture there is very different than the hands-on kind of almost helicoptery hovering that I saw going on at the playground in the U.S. And I was like, this is totally different. And it just felt weird to feel like a stranger back in your home culture mm -hmm. and to be looking at these other American parents saying, I don't understand why you're so stressed and why this is such a big deal. This is we're just at playground relaxing. And that led to just more cultural comparisons that you can't help but make. You try not to compare, but you always do. And you're always thinking, oh, how would I be this way if I was, if I had never left? Like, is this what my life would be? And um, so I just started thinking about all those things. And when I was pregnant um, with my daughter, I experienced such a different experience in Sweden than I did when I was pregnant with my son in the U.S. And I knew that there were other stories out there like this, that from pregnancy and birth and then parenting, I mean, the, the culture and how we raised children is so different from country to country that as expat moms, you have this really interesting dynamic where your home culture is telling you to do it one way, but yet where you live is telling you that it's completely wrong or different or whatever. Yeah. And I knew I wasn't the only one experiencing it. And of course I wasn't. And I reached out to the expat network and posted the question in the I am a triangle Facebook group. And it got such huge feedback and so many interesting stories just about pregnancy and childbirth that I knew it was just a really rich topic and other people really interested in it and passionate about it as well. So yeah. decided to pursue it and put something together. Fascinating. Yeah. I can imagine that as, especially if you were starting as a mom, it must be very, very scary to have like information that contradict each other. Yes. <laughs> So what yeah, especially when, you know, you think you're doing it correctly and then the home culture, the culture you live in, the local culture is like, no, we don't do that at all. And you're like, okay, I don't know. I don't know the right answer. And Americans are very solution based. You know, give me the answer. Like, what's mm -hmm. the solution? What's the most scientific reasoning behind the solution, the evidence? <laughs> and other cultures aren't like that at all. They're like, no, don't worry. It's fine. <laughs> so it could be not reassuring depending on where you are and who you are as a parent. No, but this is fascinating. So I did read a lot of uh, the stories in your anthology and it's kind of really interesting to see all these differences. And I guess it does reassure young parents to realize that that's okay. You know, you don't have to have it all right, but I definitely recommend it. So, <laughs> so let's go now to the real nuggets we're looking for here today. Could you start telling us Maybe you can break down for us the different steps that oh, we need to go through from the idea to the publishing and to the sale of the book. 
what are the steps that somebody has to go through when the idea pops in? Oh, I have a great idea of a book to write. Yeah. So like everything starts with the idea and a lot of the best ideas have already been done. <laughs> so uh, the first step, I guess, is to research, do some market research, find out, has this already been done? Does this already exist? And if it does, um, in what way can you make it different and make it unique and make it your own spin? Because you can always change it and make it your own. It's coming from you. So of course it's unique, but you don't want to copy or directly, you know, overlap with someone else. So just make sure it doesn't exist already. If you're doing a book, just Google the title and see your, your title in your head or see what else is out there. And um, I checked, Knocked Up Abroad was not taken by any books. So I checked that first. And um, then you start writing and you start putting it all together and what is the main idea you want to get across to the reader and when it comes to doing anthologies or if you're going to do a collection of stories it's your job as the editor to find that thread through all the stories find what's in common and the second phase is editing and this is really a non-negotiable phase I would strongly recommend even if you don't have a budget you have to have a budget for editing you have to hire this out and pay someone to look at your work I would never not do that. And I have experience editing and you still need another pair of eyes to look at it. It's not enough. You're way too close to your subject area. You have to have an objective party. Take a look at it. Even if it's four beta readers providing you feedback, you have to have some type of editing. But in my, in, in my mind, if you want to put out a professional product, you have to have a professional editor take a look at it. And it's money well invested. Mm. And... Um, when your book is being edited, you need the cover to be designed. This is another thing that you can either do yourself or if you are not graphically inclined, like I am not, uh, you hire someone to do this as well. And they're graphic designers and this is their job and they're paid to do a wonderful job. And really the cover sells the book. And uh, you have to keep in mind when you're posting your book online, a lot of times the cover is a thumbnail size image. And so you have to have a graphic that is very clear with text that is very bold and clear and all of that, that a graphic designer knows can, can do for you. And then of course there's interior design. You have to think about what the book is going to look like in the hands of the reader. And that is a whole sort of art form in itself. And a lot of readers, I didn't know this until I started doing this, they have preferences for font size and how far the, the letters are from one another. That's called kerning and how high the lines are and how much margin and how much gutter and all these things. And you're like, oh my gosh, like I didn't know there was all, all of this was involved and you have to format the headers and the page numbers and make sure everything lines up on the interior of the book. And this is really important if you're doing a paperback or hardcover version. If you're just going to do an ebook, that's a whole other set of formatting that you have to do. So, you, so if you're doing both, you have to do two different file types and manage those in different ways. Um, so there are two separate skill sets there. But I think that how you design your book can either make it look amateurish or it can make it look very professional and polished. And so it's, that's another important aspect you don't want to overlook. And then you just get a proof from the printer. So once all those things are set and you have the cover and your interior is beautiful and everything is set, 
you order a proof and it comes in the mail and that's when you do one final thumb through and you're ready to hit print and launch your book. And then of course you get into marketing. (laughs) (laughs) That's another big piece. (laughs) Yeah. It's like the fourth trimester. Like no one really thinks about it till they're there. And they're like, Oh, I spent this whole time getting this book together and it's here, like buy it. And you haven't really put a plan in place for marketing it. And that is where um, I, I fell down. I did not market my first book very well at all. I just kind of found myself like, okay, I have a book now. What do I do? And, uh, fortunately, like luckily I just had the families and global transition conference shortly thereafter where I was speaking and could talk about my book and could sell it at the bookstore and do things. And so that kind of just happened. And then I met other bloggers and started doing guest blogs and things like that, but I, I never had a plan. I just sort of was bumbling my way through the marketing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with the second book, the crowdfunding campaign was definitely the marketing. And that was the, the whole push with, with that book. So uh, there are different approaches you can take depending on how you want to approach it, really. Yeah. So, so now let's, before we go into crowdfunding, because that's an interesting piece too, uh, I want to go a little bit through real quick through the different steps you mentioned. Um, actually, there is also the, the part um, about the ISPN. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah. What, how do you, could you explain what it is actually? Sure. So ISBN is the code that is assigned with every book and you will, there are a few things and it depends on how you want to do it. Again, there's a lot involved with self-publishing. You, if you want to just publish eBooks through Amazon and that's all the only platform you're ever going to use, you can use their free ISBN. They assign you, you can just use theirs. The only limitation there is then you can never take your eBook off of Amazon and sell it on your own website or sell it with Kobo or some other type of ebook thing. Um, But you can do it for free. So you can do this much cheaper if you want. It depends on how much control you want on of your product. Uh, But what you do is you buy a pack, the cheapest way, it's $250 to buy a pack of 10 ISBN codes. Mm -hmm. And um, you do that through Bowker services. And this is US-based. Um, that's my only experience is through U.S. publishing. And then you assign your book to that code. And so every format has its own ISBN code. So your ebook will have a, its own ISBN. Your paperback, if you have a hardcover, that would have its its own format. If you want to do an audio book that has a different ISBN code. So, so every format of media has its own code, and that is how it's registered yeah, this is really interesting. Because, yeah, because that's a really interesting part because it's very much connected with the sales part of the book, which I would like to dig a little bit with you um, in terms of sales. So how, what is your sales strategy? How do you choose where you sell your book and, and, and how you sell it and what price? Yes, so it is, you have to kind of work backwards. Um, so I had published through Create Space which, um, and it depends on how long your book is, how many pages it is, is determines the cost, the actual print cost to print your book. And, you know, every time you print a book, it costs you money. So you need to think about, okay, how much do I need to sell it for in order to have enough margin to make any sort of money on this book? Mm-hmm. And um, it really depends because independent bookstores and many bookstores, they want a 50% 
discount on retail. So for you, for me, anyway, for me to put my book into a bookstore, I make maybe a dollar a book. Like it's really, it's really small. It doesn't make much sense for me to sell my book in a bookstore, except for the fact that that's how I want to get my book out. And it's nice to see your book on a bookshelf and it's nice to reach a your readers where they can pick up your book and hold it and they're not just ordering it online. Um, but that is, that's, that's the nature. If you're going to have your book in a bookstore, they need to make money on your book as well. So everyone has a margin. So they want 50% off because then they can make Y off of your, off of your book. And so there has to be enough money between your cost and the 50% retail for you to make any type of money. Yeah. So the, you mentioned Create Space. That's the place where what 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 does Create Space provide you? Create Space does print on demand, mm -hmm. and so whenever someone through and let's face it, there are other book other ways to buy books, but Amazon is by far the most popular way people purchase books. Mm -hmm. um, you can also do it through Book Depository, but that requires um, publishing through a, a, another type of book place. So we can talk about that later, but that's a whole host of other, mm -hmm. but if you load it onto CreateSpace and you decide to publish through them, then um, they, every time someone on Amazon clicks to buy your book, it prints it and ships it like pretty much right away. Wow. Uh, so it's this really great. They have a lot of printers in the U S that are CreateSpace printers. And as soon as your file is ordered, it's automated and printed and shipped just with, you don't have to do anything. Wow. Which is really great if you're living abroad and you don't have the space to print off a lot of books and store them and then ship them. You don't have to do order fulfillment. They'll do it for you. And it's a really great mechanism if you have a black and white only paperback book. If you have any other type of book, it's very expensive. If you have a color book or a children's book or a hardcover, create space print on demand becomes an issue. And that's when other, you know, children's book authors look to other printers to print their work and they do the order fulfillment themselves. So it really depends on what type of book you are printing. Yeah, exactly. I would say yeah. by and far, um, the paper quality of create space is, is wonderful. And the cover, the co the type of cover, when you actually feel the book itself, it feels like a, a really good book and you can check. There's also Ingram spark, I have not been as impressed with Ingram Spark as I was with CreateSpace, so that's why I made that decision. But there are other uh, publishers that do print on demand. In terms of pricing and everything, I, it's CreateSpace is tough to beat. I'd say it's very affordable and cheap for everybody. And um, they, I ordered 30 books for myself, you know, to to distribute on my end. And there was a, a printing mishap. They were the the printing cover was up a centimeter, like just a tiny bit. And the inside was shifted and I sent them pictures of it and they sent me a new case within two days. I mean, it was, it was incredible customer service. So I've had very good experience with CreateSpace and I can recommend them highly. And um, it's worth checking out, ordering a proof of your book through them. If you know, just to compare and contrast between other printers. Yeah. You've been mentioning a lot of great resources and I keep asking you about them, but Nomad Nation, you'll find them on the webpage of this episode. So we can a little bit move forward now towards, uh, actually before that, I would like to know what do you have to do to convince a bookstore to get your book in? Cause I, I believe they do not take every single book. 
They don't take every single book. I would say come in with your best critical reviews. If you can get another author to review, to read and review your book, I would come in with that. Um, how I sold my book to a bunch of bookstores is I came in with my Wall Street Journal write-up. The Wall Street Journal expat, Debbie Bruno, actually wrote about Knocked Up Abroad, which was amazing. And this, this wonderful interview I did with her. And I brought that in. I said, here, here's the proof. Here's my social proof that I am somebody. <laughs> because, you know, they don't know me from anyone. But I was written about in the Wall Street Journal. And that's that's a thing. So if you have any type of write-up or review or a blogger who highlights your book or you make a top 10 list or anything, I would bring that in and say, here's the proof. I have this many friends, this many people on my Facebook page. I have this many followers on Twitter. There's an audience and I think your readers will love this book. Yeah, this is where we're going to touch a little bit on the marketing, but um, I love your idea. This is such an important a point, you know, to come in with a proof, a proof, a social proof that you are an interesting writer and you have followers and people who are interested in your stories. But I guess not every single bookstore is interesting. I guess you might want to also do your own research on what kind of bookstores are more relevant to your book, right? Yes, yes. And I, I have definitely taken and left copies of my book at bookstores with my business cards and call me if you're interested and nothing. So, so you will, you will give away some copies of your book and that's sort of the cost of marketing as well as be prepared to give it. And then if it doesn't, if it's not a good match, then you have to trust that the bookstore is not going to yeah. put a book in there that they won't be able to sell because they, they have to think of that too. You're taking up shelf space. Um, but for the most part, I've had great success working with English bookstores abroad They're very interested in the literature and supporting local authors um, and supporting international stories in general. They th Those books sell really well. Yeah, the indie, the indie uh, bookstores. Yeah. Those that are not big chains, basically. Correct, yeah. So tell us, how did you manage to build that following? What are the things that you did um, in terms of marketing that you think have had a result for you? In terms of marketing for the first book? Oh, I think I just kept publishing places. I kept putting my my name in various uh, websites and doing guest posts. Uh, I did a lot of submitting my articles to um, places like Mamalode and Parent Co. My Parent Co. article went viral, and I don't know how much that affected my Facebook following, but I definitely saw some growth there. And um, so you're talking about guest posting, like offering, yeah, yeah that's, that's a strategy yeah. that has worked a lot uh, these last years for a lot of people. Yes, definitely putting your name across as many platforms as possible. Yeah. And offering articles that to special blogs or websites. Yes. Becoming a contributor, basically. Is this what you did? Yes. Okay. Yep. Exactly. So, okay. So how, let's talk about that transition between the first and second book, because that's going to be even more marketing great nuggets. <laughs> But how did you f get to suddenly decide to crowdfund it? And, and what is crowdfunded? Yes. Yes. So the, the first book, um, I didn't have a budget, you know, that was all out of my own pocket. And, you know, I, I experienced, you know, feedback from the contributors. They, They were, they knew going in that it was an unpaid gig, but, uh, you know, you hit a wall 
when you keep reaching out to people, they say, oh, I'm only interested if it's, you know, if there's a stipend involved. And so you say, okay, well, I, I really want um, established writers. I really want your stories. Your stories are beautiful. I would love to have you incorporated in this book. And they say, okay, is it, is it paid? <laughs> and so I, you know, I don't have just an extra $10,000 lying around in my bank account for, for these projects. So I decided to pursue crowdfunding. I had already done the first book. So I already knew the ropes in terms of the actual publication process and was more comfortable with that. Although you're still learning and everything's new anyway. Um, but I felt I could take on the challenge of learning about crowdfunding. And whenever I take on a new project, I like to dive in and really do a lot of research and think things through and research all my options. And so I decided to, to go for it and say, okay, I can take on crowdfunding. That will allow me to pay the contributors. They'll be motivated because if we're not successful, they won't get paid, there won't be a book. So I kind of felt like I had buy-in from the contributors, which is really important. Because um, with the first book, people you know, don't really feel like they wanna share as much in terms of marketing if, um, there's nothing in it for them. And this is just this is just how people work. Like, why would I share this? Yay, I'll share it one time and then that's it. And I'm gonna walk away and you you're done. Um, but with the the crowdfunder, you have to share every day for like 30 days. And so you need these your contributors or your team or your every your friends to be on board with this. And so I thought that having everyone being financially committed and in the same boat, you know, we we're all in the same boat together. It was very much a team effort that we would have this team energy. And that really contributed to the marketing and amplifying our message and our voice was that we had so many people sharing the same links. And when a lot of people share the same exact link on Facebook, it puts it into people's news feeds, mm -hmm. as opposed to if it was just me sharing the link. So that really helped in terms of amplifying our message and our call to action across all social media. So crowdfunding, the motivation behind it was, first of all, to, to get financed before and yeah. also get people, be able to pay people in order to actually duplicate and multiply the, the outreach of your book. Yes. Yeah. It, it was really to support the, the book. I did not make money on the crowdfunding at all um, in terms of the money that was raised all went into the editing, the design, the, the printing, and the shipping of the orders. So how do you convince people to give you money before a book is out through crowdfunding? <laughs> yes. Well, there are a lot of ways you can do that. So you do have to convince people that you're going to put out a book that's really high quality. And the way we did this was we created a book trailer and we also created um, the Kickstarter video itself really demonstrated, okay, what are the stories going to talk about? Who are the women behind the stories? And so what's the whole point of, of the book? And uh, then with each of the reward tiers, we included extra things. So virtual rewards or items that people might be interested in, services people might be interested in, expat coaching services, um, essay coaching, things like writing, writing, creative writing development. And we say, okay, maybe someone's interested in the book, but they're really interested in this other service that we can offer and they would be willing to back that. Okay, that's an idea. So you don't always have to have your finished product in hand. You, you do have to have a prototype or at least show people what they will be getting, but you 
even if this is your first book ever done, you can still get people interested by offering extra, extra goodies on the side. Yeah. So that's a, that's a good, a very good advice. There's one thing that I would like to highlight just in case for you, Nomad Nation, if you're not yet you know, um, familiar with crowdfunding, the concept of crowdfunding is to use an online platform. And Lisa used Kickstarter. There's, uh, you use Kickstarter. There's other ones like, I forgot the yes, name of it. There's Indiegogo, there's Rocket Hub, Crowdfunder, there's Publishizer, but that's a little different. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there's, but I would say Kickstarter and Indiegogo are the, the big ones. Yes, exactly. So there are the two ones. And so we use this platform to, uh, to fund through friends and, and connections and marketing the, the, a book or any other product before even you have launched it. So that's the great you know, uh, trend right now is the crowdfunding. <laughs> so is there any reason you chose uh, one platform over the other, Indiegogo, Kickstarter, for instance? Yeah, I, I decided to go with Kickstarter because I thought more people would be familiar with it, but that wasn't the case at all. Um, so <laughs> in the end, it wouldn't have mattered which one I chose. I just, I went with Kickstarter. And part of the difficulty when you're, when you're doing all this research and you're looking on both platforms, you see what projects are there and you can kind of get a sense for, okay, how many books right now are in their publishing group and who am I competing against? But by the time you launch, that whole ecosystem has changed. Mm. So, you know, those projects are over and now they're different. And so you, you never know who you're going to be competing against for attention. Mm. And maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's good that the, the book section, there's a really big book out and it's, it's hot and it's bringing people to the book section and your book is in there too. People just have to dig around and find it. Or maybe it's not hot because you're always going to be way behind that one because you're not going to be 8,000 percent funded whatever whatever the issue is so it, it really is um, a guessing game but there are pros and cons to both platforms or to all the platforms really um, but I would say Kickstarter and Indiegogo are the most similar in terms of fees I wanted to do a Kickstarter because I was doing an all or nothing campaign and I wanted people to understand that going in that it was all or nothing and Indiegogo has two options you can do all or nothing or you can do flex funding and the flex funding takes a higher percentage, but then you get whatever um, is raised. And I, I know that the flex funding projects have lower success rates than the all or nothings, believe it or not, because the all or nothing has that built-in psychological impact on the backers, where the backers who have supported you and they're already financially invested in your project, they understand it won't happen unless you're 100% funded. And so they work to get you funded. They'll share extra, they'll reach out to one more person, they'll convince another person to come on board. So because of that psychological hook you have in your backers, they help you get 100% funded. Whereas flex funding to me feels a little more charitable. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, if if the, the $10,000 goal was really our goal, if we didn't make that, we weren't going to have a book. So why would I take anything less than that? I can't. I can't take... $6,000. I mean, I can't do that. So the, the flex funding wasn't an option for me in terms of the success. And that's, I thought the Kickstarter would give people sort of that, that little psychological kick of like, no, like we were launching this project, this has to happen, or it won't happen at all. Yeah, fascinating. So how long did it take you to, to, to raise $10,000? Our campaign was 30 days long. 
30 days. $10,000 in 30 days. Amazing. We raised it in in 27 days, I think, so I could sleep over the weekend. (laughs) Wow. So how did you keep doing it and keeping the, for 30 days, the campaign going and people keep sharing and people keep funding? What did you have to do? It's a lot of work. You have to do a lot of work before the campaign even starts. And I would say the bulk of the work is before the campaign even starts. And, um, The advice that was given to me was to plan out every day of the campaign. So day one, exactly what are you going to share across your social media platforms? I had all of my messages and my images ready. So I had Facebook ready images and Twitter ready images ready to go. I had an idea as to what links I was going to include, hashtags, things like that. What I should have done but it takes a lot more time as I would have reached out to all of those contacts, all those people who had the editors who I had already published with. So the mama load, the parent code, the Kinsley, all those big publishing houses, all those big websites, I would have reached out to them and tried to get an article published with them. The, the difficulty is, is that you don't necessarily hear back from them right away. It could take two to three weeks and then you're, item might not be published for two to three weeks after that. So really by the time I, I should have done all of that work before the campaign, because once you're in the campaign, it's too late. Yeah. And then you need, you need to publish on things that have no med- no moderation. So things like medium LinkedIn, your own website and other people's blogs that you can kind of get on in a much faster manner. Yeah, so I do. I do believe that it's very important to to pre-launch in a way to always have like a pre-launch strategy to prepare people that something big is coming before yes. you launch. So that's great. But you still managed to raise that money. And I, as you said, your strategy was to every to plan every single day what you were going to post and say about it. Yeah. Uh, and that's really great because then you you just have to post it because it's ready. You planned it out. Uh, but how do you keep? posting things without being repetitive and not keep saying buy it, buy it, buy it. So yeah, how, what do you do for 30 <laughs> days to, to, to be able to draw that traffic to your book and crowdfunding campaign? Yeah. And, and that's where publishing on different sites comes in handy. So you don't want, um, you can on launch day, you can say, Hey, we're live, go back us today, watch the video, share, yay, rah, 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 you know, get your pom-poms out. But then every day after that, you, you can't keep saying back us, back us, back us. You have to say, okay, like here's a funny article or here's a meme or here's um, this, you know, oh, look, we were published on X and you say, hey, we're published on Washington Street Journal or uh, Wall Street Journal or Washington Post, yay. And in that article, you have a call to action at the bottom and then it becomes all passive marketing. And that can be really hard because you feel like you're kind of pushing water, like you feel like it's not going anywhere, that you're doing all this hard work, but passive marketing is passive. Mm-hmm. But that's that's how you have to do it unless you're going to, otherwise you feel like you're spamming everyone. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, that's when you, having a network of bloggers comes in handy mm-hmm. where you reach out to all your other expat friends and you ask them to share again, or you ask them, you know, do you have a blog? Can I do a guest post on your blog? You do all these things and you're constantly looking for new ways to get your message out there. Yeah, this is really great. So <laughs> you've been using a lot of resources and a lot of online solutions. So could you tell us what is the one that you think is the most like useful and that make the big difference for you? 
Only one. Um, oh, you can well, say more than one, but <laughs> what, what comes to your mind when you think of online resources that you find really useful and you want to share with us? Well, the, the ones that I use the most, I use Canva to create my graphics. Mm-hmm. And that has been really helpful in terms of creating clean, crisp looking graphics that can go on Facebook and Twitter and my website and things like that, banners. Uh, and I use royalty-free images from pixabay.com. And those, those are really my two go-tos. Um, I also used, when I was sending out a lot of emails, I used Boomerang which is a Chrome add-on to your Gmail. And you can schedule emails to send when people first wake up. So it hits their inbox at 6.03 a.m. instead of, you know, 2.03 a.m. when I'm awake across time zones. And so it's really great if you're trying to ping people across time zones, which I was. Mm. And it's it's also good for um, just, you know, scheduling your email so you don't have to send a, a big bulk right away. What else did I use? Um, I always use Grammarly. I put everything through the the pro version of Grammarly just to double check, make sure I don't have any spelling errors or commas in the wrong place. And I think that's it. Oh, and for Kickstarter specifically, I used KickTrack with T-R-A-Q, which was a Chrome add-on as well. And so now every Kickstarter I go to, it shows me the projected timeline, the trend of where they are predicted to end up in terms of funding. And so it's kind of interesting, kind of depressing sometimes when you visit somebody else's Kickstarter campaign, you can, my kick track shows up, I can see where they're projected to end. And it was really stressful at the time, uh, but it was helpful in terms of motivating me to stay on my goal. And it allowed me to see the trend line and to put in place either I need to ramp up marketing efforts and really get the link out there now while there's still a chance, while I'm still above the goal line. Um, and I was I was fortunate that the number of pledges we had kept us above the goal line and we didn't go below the goal line because so that's a demoralizing place if you fall so, below so your it, Yeah, so, so it's a resource that projects if you're going to reach your goal or not according to what's happening in the present. Yeah. So the more you push traffic, the better your chances are and it shows yeah. you that in a graph. So yeah. the name is again... Um, Kick track. Kick track. Kick track. Yeah. So Nomad Nation, all these amazing resources, I'm going to put them on this web page and do not hesitate to check them out. Uh, and uh, on, it's, it's just amazing how many resources are there in terms of internet today with the technology. We basically have a whole industry in one computer covering yeah. for our, all our <laughs> needs. So it's really amazing, very fascinating. So just before we end this, I, I still have one important question is how do you know what is the budget you need for your book? What are the things that should be considered? So you'll need to factor in all of the items I mentioned. So if you're going to use a professional proofreader or editor, you need to factor in that. You need to predict the cost of how much it's going to be to print and ship your books. And I, I was lucky that this was my second book. And so what I used was the create space mechanism to calculate costs. And so I knew exactly, okay, it's $4.21 per book. And then shipping is anywhere from $4 to $15, depending on where we're shipping around the world. And so I just factored that into the cost. And then you need to say, okay, how many books would I need to sell to cover my expenses? So you have all these Things, it's still 
it's still crazy because you don't know who's going to back which tier level. And a lot of people ended up buying the ebook, which was wonderful because that was free delivery. I mean, yes, it has a retail value, retail, but it was free for me to deliver. I delivered it via email. So that was 100% profit in that, in that little tier. Uh, other people, there's, there are so many mistakes you can make in terms of the crowdfunding or calculating costs that you have to allow for some buffer. You have yeah. to uh, adjust for a flex and there's going to be fees. Uh, every platform takes a lot of fees and they take fees per transaction. So you're going to lose a couple hundred dollars there. And so on another thing I didn't realize was some backers dropped out. Even though we reached our goal, some backers didn't ever submit their credit card state, credit card mm-hmm. payments to pay. So we lost those backers. So it's kind of, you know, there's, there's always some loss. There are some mistakes. Um, some, some people said, oh, can you ship it to this address instead of the other one? And that had a higher shipping cost than what they paid for. But I did it because I'm nice and accommodating. <laughs> you know, you don't want to, you don't want people to be upset. So, so there are a lot of things that you have to factor in when you're, yeah. when you're doing this. It's really fascinating. So, so basically, it will be good to go through this episode again and and consider each of the steps you mentioned and what are the costs that are involved in it. And yeah. I guess Mar- yeah. get quotes, get quotes from people beforehand. I mean, you should have all of this sort of lined up and ready to go, and know how much an in, a designer is going to cost, or know how much um, if you're not going to do the interior formatting yourself, who you're going to hire to do that, and then a buffer factor. Um, someone said buffer factor of 30%, but that would have been really expensive book. No one would pay $15,000 for my book. So I was like, Ooh. so um, I kind of just did a much smaller buffer factor. And because I had all of the quotes already lined up, I was, I was more set on my expenses. Okay. That was fortunate on my side, but so yeah. How did, you, how did you know what was the average price somebody would be ready to buy for your book? Um, and that, yeah, and that's another thing is you have to keep it within reason of what someone's going to spend. A uh, lot of statistics on Kickstarter specifically say that the average pledge is $50 and that people don't mind spending $50. Now, if you're going to do $50, you have to make it a book plus a few things, right? You can't just have it. And so for every tier level, um, you need to be sure that the value that they're getting is sort of twice the cost. People want more value than what they are going to spend for it. And so you can do that in a number of ways. You can give virtual rewards. You can give an extra ebook. You can give um, an audio recording, a webinar. You can give um, Skype consulting sessions. You can do a lot of things that are free to deliver, but increase the value. Exactly. So that's how you can sort of beef up your tier rewards or make it more attractive for someone to level up a tier level. Um, so a say, tier, just, just in case the tier is basically that you can pledge or help support a, a funding campaign with different levels and each level brings an extra bonus. Basically, you can either yeah. just buy the ebook or the book or the book plus, you know, so everybody knows that this is not only about the book, but it's about supporting that campaign. So mm-hmm. people are ready sometimes to pay more than just a book and looking for that value you're you're, you're talking about. But how about the value of the simple book that ends on Amazon or ends on, on the bookshelf of a bookstore? Uh, how do you evaluate that average price? Do you compare to the people who, who write the same type of books or how do you? Yes. 
Yes, you should go to the bookstore and look and see what the average price of a book is. If it's a traditional publisher, you as an independent publisher, you should not be pricing yourself as the same price as traditional publisher because they have they have a lot more other costs to take into consideration. And so for a book around the same size as Knocked Up Abroad, that would be anywhere from $19.99 to $25.99. Mm-hmm. And my book is priced at $14.99. I don't have the same expenses as a traditional publisher. And as an independent publisher, I can and I can be a little cheaper and someone might be willing to spend $15 on my book, whereas 25, maybe not who they don't know who I am. Uh, so it's, it's, it's up to you how, what you want to set your price at. I would say it needs to be reasonable given the page length and the content and uh, your market size. And you have to think about all those things. And I, I definitely wouldn't go below a certain amount. I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't go below $11 per book. It's just not financially feasible to, to do that because the cost of the book is about $5 per book. So you have to think about all those, all those things on top of it. Very important. Wow. So many things we've covered here. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Okay. I can't wait for you to launch your courses on how to publish and crowdfund a book. So that's going to come up soon. So Nomad Nation, check out Elisa's website, uh, knockedupabroad.eu, right? Yes. Yeah. So before we say goodbye, tell me what is to you, according to you, a great book? A great book is one that you either don't want to put down or as soon as you put it down, you can't wait to pick it up and read it again. Is there one that you would suggest to us? I will definitely suggest Knocked Up Abroad, but is there anything (laughs) else? Um, I really like diving into fantasy. I like my whole world is nonfiction. And so I really like reading fun fiction. And uh, I, I absolutely devoured the Heart Striker series by Rachel Aaron. She's a writer in Georgia, which is, I had no idea until I read her books. I'm like, oh, Georgia, that's where I used to live. Love it. And um, she writes about dragons in this really way that is fun and interesting and um, was super fun to read on the airplane and kept me engaged the whole time. So I can recommend her books very much. She has three books out right now in the series called the Heart Striker series, and they're very cute and fun. Wonderful. I'm going to put those links on the webpage too. Wow. There's going to be a lot of things here. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Lisa. That was really, really enlightening. So thank you. Thanks. It was a lot of fun. Nomad Nation. To receive all the great online tools that Lisa recommended, go to tandemnomads.com slash 69 and you'll be able to download the list of all those great online tools to self-publish and crowdfund your book. See you at the next episode and stay tuned to turn your challenges into great opportunities.